Um, last week I referred to God setting the solitary in families. Here's the issue with that. That's what he intends to do, but if we don't understand what a family's supposed to look like, that can be an issue. There, 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 there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a concept that, 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 that God started that, that, that's in his heart, that's in his mind. And what I find looking around our culture is that our mind and his mind are not the same thing. Our heart and his heart are not the same thing. And, and, and we, can, we can take cues from the culture and end up in a place God never intended for us to be. We can get ideas and thoughts that God never intended us to, 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 to consider or contend with. And if we don't, when I, when I, several weeks ago, I, began, I felt like God began to deal with me about this idea of, of, of dealing with family issues and things. And as a pastor, I have to be really honest, I deal with that continually. And sometimes it frustrates me to pieces. In fact, I had somebody in the, in the office back before kids camp. And I'd, 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 didn't have, I'd walked into the, the secretary's office. Uh, somebody was in there. And they began to talk about how their family was collapsing. I just got to be really honest. I got really uptight. And I sat there in that thing, and they kept talking about what was going on. And they didn't act too discouraged or frustrated or anything like that. And I looked at them. They looked over at me, and I said, I wish I could tell you how sick I am of hearing that. And they kept talking. They looked back at me in the eye again, and I said the exact same thing a little more intense at that time, and I said, I wish I could tell you how sick I am of hearing that. And here's the deal. To their, on their behalf, there was a lot more going on than they were <laughs> letting me in on at the time. And, but I hear it all the time. I hear it constantly. Husbands and wives can't get along. Parents and children can't get along. Extended families have all kinds of weird stuff going on and crossing of bounds and different things. And I just, I mean, it's just constant. And I'm not talking about people out there. I'm talking about people in here. And that's the most frustrating piece of it because we don't know what a family's supposed to look like. We don't know how a family's supposed to function. Sometimes we do and we don't care. We don't do it our way anyway. And so it becomes very frustrating for me. So as, we were, as I was contemplating this several weeks ago about going into a series on family, I, 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 you guys have maybe noticed I, 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 like, I like NCIS, you know what I mean? Anybody ever watch NCIS? And so if you want your NCIS fix on regular television, you have to go to the USA Network, right? And for about a month, I got inundated. Every time I'd try and watch an NCIS episode, I had to, I had to feast my eyes on what you just saw and what you're about to see. And it just began to fuel the fire even more. So go ahead, play another one. After 16 Emmy wins. Look at our trophies up there. We're a couple of winners, aren't we? Three SAG Awards. You can get out of bed for a trophy that size. And a Golden Globe. It's hardly an Oscar. There's only one thing to say about Modern Family coming to USA. Happy Melonbirth anniversary! Uh, how about welcome? Yeah! TV's best comedy comes to USA. USA! USA! Oh, no! Modern Family starts Tuesday, September 24th on USA. Comedy's welcome. 
I don't know if you caught the end of the first commercial. It says, make our family yours. I will gladly decline that invitation. Thank you very much. Because here's the deal. You notice the awards? I, I play out on purpose because you, you, see, you see all the awards? This is celebrated. Modern family. And it's sad because it, it flies in the face of what God intends. We, 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 we have to come to grips with what God says is appropriate. What God says a family should look like. We, we, gotta, we, we, is, we, have to, we have to be, Paul tells Timothy, you be the example, right? And unfortunately, we can't be the example in a lot of ways because we don't apply what God says to apply. We don't live the way God says live, right within our own homes at times. And, and, and it's, it's frustrating for me. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I understand a lot of us are dealing with all kinds of difficulty within our families. There's a lot of brokenness, a lot of dysfunction. But you know what? The whole point of this whole thing is there's hope for all of us. There's a, there, there's a place for all of us in God's family. No matter how broken we are, no matter how bad we've messed things up, no matter how difficult life has been, God creates a spot for us in his family. He says, come bring it, but don't just, don't, don't bring it and let it stay the same. Bring it and let me change it. Isn't that beautiful? It's awesome. None of us come from the perfect family because none of us are perfect. All of us come into a family packing our own set of garbage. All of us do. Right here, I put this up here on purpose because we're going to talk about healthy spousing this morning, okay? That picture there is usually hanging on my wall. Tomorrow, me and this beautiful lady will celebrate 18 years of marriage. Praise Jesus. Isn't that cool? I tell people a lot when they're sitting in my office, I'm doing marriage or premarital counseling, I say these two words to them. You see those pictures? You just have to point because it's behind the wall, behind them. I've got a couch in there, and so behind the couch, there's these little pictures. There's, this is one of the pictures hanging there. I said, see those pictures? Those are not fake. Those smiles are not fake. Those are for real. And I say that to you not to boast. I say it to you because there are certain things, if you apply them in the Scripture, God helps you walk through the stuff, man. Rachel and I, I will tell you right now, Rachel and I, neither one are perfect. She's more perfect than I am, just for the record. If anybody's towing the line of perfection, it's probably her, not me. <laughs> and 18 years is amazing because she's endured with me. And uh, through a lot of goofiness and stupidity on my behalf. And it takes endurance. But you know what? It's been a blessing. And I can honestly say at this moment, I love her more right now than I did 18 years ago. I love her more right now than I did 19 years ago. And I make no apologies about that. And I, 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 they're just, we've learned to, to walk with Jesus and walk with one another. And it's, it, 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 it's we, you know, we've got to allow God to, to, to heal our hearts. Brazier and I both were broken when we came together. Hurt, hurt bad. Due to our own decisions and some decisions of others, we were just hurting people. And there was nothing good. I, I told people before, man, the first three years we were married, I didn't think we were going to make it. And I can remember a distinct moment where in our living room, 
I looked at her and I said, why are we playing this game? And she said, what? And I said, why are we playing this game? Because it felt like we were playing a game. I said, we've got to make some changes. We've got to do something different. Things have got to, because this is not working. Now, fortunately, we both dug in at that moment, coming to the recognition that it wasn't what it ought to be, and we just decided we were going we to keep going. And, and all of us come to those places. You know, God places such a, God places, well, how we see family determines how we live our life. Who we walk and run this journey with. If, if Psalm 68 is true and God intends to set the solitary in families, we better figure out what a family is supposed to be. Not just for our individual homes, for, for this body of believers. We better understand what a family is supposed to look like, how people are supposed to interact with one another, how things are supposed to function. If we don't get there, we won't get anywhere. God places such a high uh, bar about family issues that in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says these words. Listen to these. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, the living Bible says pastor. Some places say bishop. Some things say presbyter, a leader in the church. Okay, let's put it that way. He, high, he, he, he desires an honorable position. These are the words God confirmed to me about going into ministry. 1991-ish. In a living room that my, I was living with my parents, I opened up a Bible that was a King James Version, green, parallel, living Bible thing, and I was con- contending with Jesus. I was like, I was in the middle of the night, I was kind of wrestling with God, kind of like Jacob, and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with my life? And I had this unction, but I was scared to death, and I opened up, my, opened up the Bible that, that, that night in the wee hours of the morning, and I read these, those words, if a man desires to be a pastor, he desires a good thing. And it was like those, those words came off the page stood up in 3D and looked back at me. Never forget it, those very words. And I learned quickly that if I was going to be the man God wanted me to be, the next part had to come come into play. So an elder, a leader, must be a wise man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife right off the bat. You want to be a leader? Bam, you got to do that. Verse 4 says he must manage his own family well having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? That's, a, those are, that, that, that's where God sets it. He's, his family is so important to God. He said, listen, get family right first, and I'll let you do something. I'll let you help lead others. He, he, he puts a high bar on this idea of family. Over the next few weeks, we're going to discuss a lot of things about family. Today, we're going to talk about spousing. Next week, we're going to talk about parenting. Then the following week, we're going to talk about single parenting. Some of you have to deal with that. What does the Bible say about that? How can we walk through that together? But some of us are single and maybe for the rest of our lives. How do we deal with that? How do we fit in God's family in regard to that? How do we feel not less of a human being because we don't have a partner like everybody else does? Because the Bible calls that a gift. Did you know that? Go read 1 Corinthians 7. Anyway, I'm going to get ahead of myself. We're going to talk about time management because family is such under a time crunch. We're going to talk about financial management because because if one thing causes a family to collapse in our culture, it's financial stress. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what it looks like if you, if you have a family that's way dysfunctional or a family that's completely collapsed. How do you walk through that? How do you recover from that? And here's the good news for all of you. I'm not doing all the talking during all that. We're going to invite several people to, to help us dis, dis, talk about these issues. 
And so we're, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna endeavor down this road, but we've got to figure out at the, the, the fundamentally, what is a family? The fundamental element of any society is family. All over the world, you can't go any place. They, 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 there are still people who, who congregate out, out in the middle of, uh, of the bush somewhere who, who are together because they're a clan. And they, they developed a civilization, a society around the ideas that make up that clan. But the fundamental element of a family is marriage. And so if we're going to get family right, we got to get marriage right first. And God starts way back in Genesis helping us get that right. Genesis chapter 2, in fact, is where we're going to pick up this morning, uh, page 5. We'll clear back to the beginning. Uh, page 5 in the Little Yellow Bibles, chapter 2 in Genesis, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper who's just right for him. The next piece of the scripture, God sends all sorts of animals in front of Adam, and he gets to name every one of them. Some of you analytic types would have just loved that job. Me, I wouldn't have named them like, you know, I'd have given them like fluffy names like, oh, Fido, sweet. And God's like, no, I need you to, you know, we're starting a species here. I need like a real name. I'm like, oh, no, dude, I just, I just want him to lick me. I don't care about what else he does, you know. And, and so God goes, they go clear through, Adam and, Adam and God go clear through the whole lineup. Then the next line is really important. Verse 19, but there and 20, there was still no helper just right for him. There's a term in our culture that the, the, the dog is man's best friend. Not according to God's eyes. I will make a helper who's just right for him. There was no helper in the animal kingdom that was right for him. So the Lord God caused man to fall asleep. In a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out of the man's ribs, took one of the man's ribs, and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. There's an important piece of information. He, he did not create another man. Modern family. And he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this, is, this one is bone from my bone, flesh of my flesh. So she shall be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one, into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Here's the deal. God created marriage, family for a purpose. What is the purpose? So we can get through life. It wasn't good for the man to be alone. He, 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 think about this for a minute. Man walked with God in the cool of the day, Genesis 3 would tell us. And yet there was something still necessary about man that needed somebody with skin on to be near him. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to create a helper suitable for him. And he created a woman. You know what? Man, woman. The reason you, you are in a marital situation is because you need help. And the sad fact of the matter is some of us don't let the one God called alongside of us to help help. The reason you, God has called you beside another person if you're married is because you need help. 
You are the one in need of help. And so many families collapse because men don't let their wives near their real issues. So many families collapse because wives don't let their husbands near their real issues. And the one who's supposed to be there to help you is the very one you you refuse to talk about real stuff about with whatever I meant there. You know what I meant? And so we are disabled at that very moment from really navigating through life the way we need to. And so here's the deal. You need help. We all need help. We can't, we, we, we can't make it without that. That's why God created this idea of marriage and this idea of family. He built, he built society on family, built family on marriage. The way we preserve this idea of family is we have to look at it not as contractual, but as covenantal. Okay? There's this idea that I can get out anyway, anytime, anyhow I want to. That's, that's not a biblical idea. Don't, don't let anybody in the legal field or any place else tell you that that's okay. I don't care what the state of Ohio talks about, not, you know, no fault divorce and all that kind of craziness. No, if there's a, a divorce, there's somebody at fault. Okay, and God, God, God intends for us to, 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 to walk this walk together. There, there's two words there in, um, in Genesis chapter 224. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united in one. This idea of cleave means to be joined. In the King James Version, it would say cleave. For this cause, a man leaves his father and mother, cleaves unto his wife. Okay, it's our new family. Means in the Hebrew, the word they use there is to adhere to firmly, closely, loyally, and unwaveringly. When they translated the the, the Old Testament into Greek, um, because that was the, the language of the whole world back back in uh, Jesus's time, uh, some scholars went together and made this thing called the Septuagint. It was they had taken the, the Hebrew scriptures, translated them out of the original Hebrew into Greek. The Greek word they used they used to describe this word of joined, cleaving has this kind of, listen to this, to cement together, to stick like glue, to be welded together so that the two cannot be separated, listen to these words, without serious damage to both. That's a covenant. I sat with a young couple this week who are going to get married here at the end of the month, and I told them, listen, I want you to understand what your, the, the, our, our last marriage session, I always talk about the ceremony itself, that you're entering into a covenant and what that means. God intends that this, this, this never dissolves. The only way you get out of a covenant was by dying. That's it. That's the only way you get out. That's it. By dying. And so often we... We make all sorts of other little petty things the way we get out. God intends for it to become, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like this. You guys, some of you know me pretty well. I'm, I'm like a loud guitars and drums kind of a guy. And so there was a song that a band named Journey did, which I really like. And I'm going to read some of the lyrics because it's spot on for scripture. Okay? It's called Never Walk Away. So young in love, they couldn't wait. Said their vows just to run away. Suddenly, they felt their lives had changed. They believed their hearts were strong just to find they couldn't get along. They didn't care. It slowly falls or comes undone. 
Then the chorus goes, will she go or will she stay? Fool herself for one more day. Don't give up. Never walk away. Love's a promise that he made. In his heart, it still remains. Don't give up. Never walk away. Verse 2 reads like this. Had to meet somewhere halfway. Heart to heart and face to face. Compromise the price they had to pay. Cared enough to stand on ground. Screamed and shouted till the walls came down. Won the fight. Still a brand new day. Don't give up. Never walk away. Now I'm going to say this. If a secular rock band can come to grips with those kinds of ideas, why can't people in the church come to, come, come to, come to grips with ideas like that? Huh? Wow. It's covenantal. It's not meant to, to, to be throwaway. It's not meant to be, you know, I can just feel like I can, I can step out if I feel like it. I, it, it. It's not that. It's covenantal. It, it means when you come together the, to, 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 without suffering serious damage, you can't get away. Jesus, Jesus gives us ideas for divorce. He talks about what that is in, in, in the book of Matthew. And he says because of, of, devote, because of uh, unfaithfulness, but we think unfaithfulness is the real issue. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says because of hardness of heart. As a result of unfaithfulness, that's the issue. And there are some people who God would intend that you keep walking with so-and-so who's unfaithful. Because you know why? He intends to show his grace to the world through your forgiveness. Because that's the kind of forgiveness he offers all of, the, all of humanity. Now, I know that wouldn't be easy. I know that would be extremely difficult, but that's his intention. The framework of this idea of marriage has several things attached to it. Number one, it's love. Man, Adam sees this woman that God made for him, and he is overwhelmed. Our English translation says, she shall be called woe man. Woe man. Love is the big deal. You know what love is supposed to look like? Love is patient and kind, 1 Corinthians says. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up and never loses faith. It's always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. The framework is love. The framework is it's to be lifelong. It's to be exclusive. It is, as bad as the culture would like to fight us on this, it is well-defined. Adam and Eve are proper helpmates for each other. We cannot redefine the parameters by which the creator, the designer, designed it. There's a whole push to, to recognize, you know, marriage, marriage equality. Uh, there's equality in marriage when it's done right. But it has nothing to do with how you choosing to live an alternative lifestyle. And I know those words are difficult to process in our culture right now. Don't give in to, to, to the hype that, it, that, 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 that God's okay with that. He is not. He is not okay with two men trying to fulfill the roles that he created a man and a woman to fill. 
He is not okay with, with, with two women trying to fulfill fill the roles. He, he's not okay. I, saw, I, saw the, I see this thing in my neighborhood. There's this, there's this, this, this vehicle I have to drive by, and it has like all those little pictures of, of, of like the family, you know, on the back of the car. You know what I'm talking about? And, and you can't really read it. It's got all the little names underneath it and all that kind of stuff, and then it has a dog at the end kind of, kind of deal. You know what I mean? Over the top of this little picture on the back of this car, it says, no dad required. And I get mad at them. Dad is required. God intended it that way. Mom is required. Dad, God intended it that way. If, many of you husbands have tried this before. You've bought a piece of furniture that needs to be assembled. It's designed on purpose. And you pull all the stuff out of the box and determine you're going to put it together the way you want to put it together. How well does that go? Huh? If God designed family to function in a certain capacity, when we just pull the junk out of the box, try and make parts fit where they don't fit, we don't get things that function very well. These are not my words. These are his words. So, um, you know. One day you and him can talk about that in heaven someday, maybe. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but that, I'm just telling you what it says. Marriage has some prerequisites attached to it, some things that are required for it to be what it's supposed to be. The framework is love. The framework is to be lifelong. The framework is it's to, it's to be exclusive. I tell you all the time, you take vows in marriage, and it says, forsaking all others, keep yourself only for me. Right? Have you guys ever heard people heard, heard repeat those vows? And automatically, our brains fly right to a, 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 an infidelity thing. It doesn't, it doesn't just mean that. It means, but, it means, dude, sometimes you've got to forego the buddies you're used to going out and running around with. It means sometimes you don't do things the way you're used to your mama and your daddy doing them. It means you forsake all others. All other relationships, all other things come under, first of all, God, then your marriage relationship, then everything else comes after that, in that order. Girlfriends, the best thing you can do to help somebody who's struggling is get out of the way and refuse to, to participate in the, the mess and say, listen, I'm praying for you, but I'm not getting in the middle of that. I'm going to support you, and I'm going to support your marriage, and I'm going to, but I'm not going to give in to all that other stuff and continue to be a part of the thing driving the wedge between you and your, your man. I'm not doing that. Well, he got to treat you better. Well, yeah, uh-huh. We're all, we all, we've all come to that conclusion. You, you being Captain Obvious and st- stating that doesn't help anybody with anything. You know what I mean? Husbands, you know, going out and having wings with your buddies and then just slamming on your wife, that ain't helping nobody. And if you find a husband who's doing that, you got to be man enough and go, dude, what are you doing? You've committed yourself to honor and cherish this woman. You are not honoring and cherishing her right now. You know what I'm saying? And I understand we, we, we need places where we can, where we can, we can offload at times. And I, I get all that. But sometimes those places to offload become places where things are done that, that are ungodly. Well, the, the, the requirements for marriage, the prerequisites for marriage are this. Sacrifice. 
If you read Genesis chapter 2, it took something from Adam to create Eve. He had to give up something. He had to give away literally himself. A piece of himself had to be given to her. God has never intended for marriage to operate any differently. He's never intended, it it is a sacrificial thing. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus spends a lot lot of time working through the the apostle Paul to describe what family and marriage is supposed to look like. And it, it requires sacrifice on both parts. For you women, it says this for, the, for, for wives, this means to submit to your husband as to the Lord. That's a sacrifice sometimes. Because you know he ain't him a lot of the time. How many of you guys live with Jesus? Anybody? anybody? Just thought I'd ask. I know Rachel doesn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Submit, submit to, to, to your husband as to the Lord. And it goes on to say, as the church submits to Christ, so, you're, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. That's a sacrifice sometimes. Sometimes he is nuts. Sometimes he's completely lost his brains. Is that true? I thought I'd get more amens around that. Huh? Sometimes he's, he's not everything he ought to be. That's hard. That's sacrificial to do that. I get it. My wife has to deal with me, you know, seven days a week, man. And sometimes I'm really good, and sometimes I am horrible. I'm really bad. I had kind of a little episode last night, really. I had to walk out in the kitchen and go, you know, I'm a total jerk. I'd make an excuse that I wasn't feeling well, but you know what? That's no excuse. I'm still supposed to have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. There's this thing called self-control. I'm supposed to have when things are going good and when things are going bad. Well, I can make the excuse, well, I just wouldn't, I've been feeling all day. Blah, 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 and I just, you just got to deal with me. Blah, 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 you know? No, you know what? I'm a jerk. You know what? After I, I said my pieces, all of them, my wife came in and she said, You know, Aaron, you, you, you're trying to do the right thing. And even though I was a jerk about it, you know what? She was willing to go, You know, you. Your heart's probably right. Well, that goes a long stinking way in a marriage. For husbands, verse 25 says, this means love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave up his life for her. Holy smoke. You talk about a high, pew. Husband, if your wife needs time, doggone it, give it to her. Well, I got this thing and that thing. and that. No, listen. Give up your life for her. Well, I'd like to buy this and that, and, you know, my toys or whatever, and, but she thinks we need to buy, you know, new carpet. Well, uh, if the stuff is boring holes in the ground and in the, in the main walkways, that might be the case. Husband, if your wife needs just everyday affection from, from you, Stop long enough to give her a hug or a kiss. Or just sit on the couch and hold her. I don't care. Patrick talked about walking the right path. I don't care what the task list says. I don't care how tall the grass gets. If your wife needs you, lay down your life for her. You know what? Husband, if she finds you would do that, she has no problem with her part of the deal. 
A woman who feels like her husband will sacrifice to the nth degree for her will have no problem in that submission thing, zero. Now, do you find your occasional rebellious one? You know what I mean? Who just, no matter what you do, they're gonna be, you know what I mean? You're going to find that? But I'm telling you, if you, if you submit yourself wholeheartedly to Christ, she submits wholeheartedly to Christ, you live for her like Christ lived for the church, she submits you as unto the Lord, things will go well. They won't be perfect, but they'll go well. In this, the other prerequisite for marriage is this. There's going to be oneness. There's going to be unity. And this unity described in Genesis chapter 2 is one of body, mind, and spirit. Everything is captivated together. Do you have to agree on everything? No, but you've got to at least be united in heart and understand where each other's coming from. This oneness is a highly valued thing in the mind of God. It's to be honored. Anything that would cause you to dishonor your marriage is a bad thing. Anything. Anything that would cause you to undervalue your marriage and the unity it creates is a bad thing. Anything that diminishes your willingness to, 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 to be the spouse you need to be is a bad thing. This oneness thing is to be highly valued and highly honored. In Hebrews chapter 13, you'll find these words. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one, to the one, to one another in marriage. It's to be honored. It's to be valued. It's not supposed to be just another everyday relationship. You should not have the same kind of relationship you have with your wife as you have with all your, all your pals, all your friends, all your buddies. You should not have the same kind of relationship with your husband that you have with the rest of the, the, the females you interact with. There ought to be something highly honored and highly valued about that, that, that interaction. And it's not, he goes, God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Immorality is not just about infidelity. Immorality has to do with greed. It has to do with covetousness. It has to do with, 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 with how you speak. It has to do with all sorts of things. It has to do with walking in fear. If you, if, if you read Revelation chapter 21, God talks about the people who will be allowed into the gates of heaven, and one word it says is immoral. Then it says people like this, greedy, da-da-da-da, uh, fearful. I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a because we're thinking, well, we have our list already of what immoral looks like. The gambler, the drinker. You know, the unfaithful guy, all of that stuff. And God, God, God's like, listen, my, my, my idea of immoral goes way beyond that because things start in the heart before they ever come to fruition into, into the physical realm. And what I'm working about is your heart, not anything else. There's a place to, be, to honor marriage and what it, what it, what it, what it gives, what, what, what God intends it to be. And he talks about adultery because that's a, that's a pertinent piece of the puzzle. As much as we'd like to not talk about it, in church, sex is a huge part of the marriage, the marriage puzzle. It is the one act, I pray, that you don't share with anybody else except for your spouse. I can laugh with other people. I can have conversations with other people. I can pray with other people. I can do Bible studies with other people. I can watch football games and TV shows. I can go to dinner with other people. I can ride in the car with other people. I can do all sorts of stuff with, all, with people. The one thing I should never do with anybody else is sex. It makes this thing exclusive. It is, it is one of the ways of honoring and valuing marriage. The problem is we put it in an inordinate place. Husband, you won't touch your wife unless you want something. And wife, sometimes you hang something over your head just to get your husband to do what you want him to do. Both of those are wrong. 
Both are wrong. 1 Corinthians 7, you'll find those words there. Paul makes it really, really, this honor of marriage is a serving thing. 1 Corinthians 7, 1. Now, regarding the question you asked me in your letter, they ask about marriage. It's good to abstain from sexual relations, he says. But because there's so much sexual immorality, that's a good line there, a man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. There's, again, some implication of gender issues there. Are you seeing that pretty clear? A man has a wife. A woman has a husband. Are we tracking? Okay, good. Are you hearing me? Good. You guys may have to come bail me out of jail for saying those words, so I hope you're hearing me pretty good. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. The husband gives authority over his body to his wife. It's got to go both ways. There should be times I can restrain myself because my wife just is not capable at the moment. And there should be times as a wife, I go, you know what, I really don't feel like it, but he needs help. I'm called to be a helper. You get what I'm saying? Because I've heard all of it in my office. I've, I, I've heard, I've heard all the stories. I know all this stuff that, 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 that it, verse five says, do not deprive one another. Unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you give yourselves more clearly to prayer. <laughs> that's the one, that's the one, no, no, no go on that. You agree together for spiritual reasons. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this is a concession, not a command. In other words, Paul's saying, this is not, you aren't going to find this in the Ten Commandments, but it's very wise. It's a wise way to live your life. It's a wise way to conduct your marriage. It's a wise way to, to, to live through this thing. It's wise to honor marriage, to, to, to serve in marriage, even, even to, a, to, even to a, an intimate sexual place, which brings us to the next point. A marriage, a prerequisite for marriage is it's got to be sacrificial, it's got to be honored, okay? And it's got to be a place of openness. Genesis 2.25 says these beautiful words. The men and women were together there. They were naked and they were not ashamed. And what I find is something that hinders marriages a lot is couples come packing certain things into their marriage. Fears. Weakness. Failures. And they never let the other person in on all those things. So there is a, there's a sexual connotation to this, this thing here, but it goes way deeper than that. That's a, there's a level of intimacy it's talking about that's beyond just mere sex. It, it has to do with your whole person, that you let them in. Well, i got to be strong. Yeah, you got to be strong, but you need help. That's why God gave you to her. Did you catch why I said that? It's okay to be vulnerable, guys. If you married a lady with the right heart for the right reasons, that's okay. Now, if you didn't, we're in a whole other realm at that moment. And understand this. God intends that there be communication about that. The Bible will talk about in Ephesians 5 that this marriage thing is supposed to look like Christ in his church. You know what Christ did? He communicates with us constantly. Through, word, through his word, through prayer through sending other people into our lives to speak things to us. 
he's speaking constantly to us through the radio, through the TV, through nature. There, how many times have you been out someplace and all of a sudden you just know Jesus just, just gave you something right for you? You know what I mean? And not because he had to, because he wanted to. Isn't that beautiful when that happens? When it's not in the normal function of life, it's just like you're driving down the road and all of a sudden Jesus goes, hey, I love you. And you go, oh my God. I had one of those moments a week ago Thursday driving down the road. I'm sitting in the car and I'm just, I need, I'm following somebody to get someplace. I really need to pull over, but I can't. And tears are streaming down my face. Me and Jesus are just having the time. We need that, find that same kind of thing in marriage where there's communication that says, you know what, I love you and I love you regardless. There need to be communication that says, I'm struggling, I need help. There need to be communication that says, you know what, you're everything to me. You're not perfect, but you know what, I'm going I'm to walk with you through this. There needs to be communication about this. There needs to be affection. The Bible says that God so loved the world that, 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 he, that he gave his only son, right? An extension of his own hands, an extension of his own life, an extension of his own. There's emotion attached to that. We have to be husbands. We have to be emotionally connected. We cannot be absent emotionally. Wives, when things go bad, you cannot shut down emotionally from your husband. You're going no place fast if you do that. Husbands naturally are kept kept away from that. Women, the, the reason women shut down usually is because bad things go on. Difficult words are said or something goes on. And also we just, I'm not dealing with it. You know what I'm saying? Do you understand where I'm coming from? Show, show the depth of the emotion by how, Jesus showed the depth of the emotion by how he lived and how he died. We should touch each other's hearts and lives deeply just like that. Your wife does need a little peck on the cheek while she's sitting behind the, the sink scrubbing up stuff. Wives, your husband needs for you just to go do something because he likes it, not because you do. Are you hearing what I'm saying? An extension of yourself into their lives. And a, a portrayal of affection. Here's, I've said all this to say this. Family and marriage points to one thing. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 5. I started back there a minute ago, and I want to go back and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, verse 21 says. For wives, it means submitting to your husbands. For husbands... Husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the, the savior of his body, the church, and the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man loves his wife, as he shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And that goes back to the second commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Big key here. If you've not embraced the love of Jesus, the love of God, the way you need to, you have a hard time loving the person who's closest to you in life. If you don't believe that you're truly loved, you have a hard time showing love. If you, don't have a hard, if you have a hard time to really believe you're forgiven, you have a hard time showing forgiveness. If you have a hard time receiving grace, you have a hard time giving grace. And he goes on to say, listen, we are members of his body. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ Jesus cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, reference to Genesis chapter 2. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. 
Marriage and family point to one thing, the relationship Jesus wants to have with all of humanity. If you're sitting here today and you're wondering, why am I sitting here? I'm single, I'm divorced, I'm widowed, I'm doing whatever. Why am I sitting here? Because this is doing me. You know why? Because Jesus wants you to know he loves you so much that he gave himself for you. He creates in his own family a place for you to sit, a place for you to live, a place for you to, 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 to thrive, a place for you to grow, a place for that. That's why. And as we, as people who are supposed to be a part of his body, we ought to extend invitations to this relationship. We ought to extend opportunities for people to sit at the table. We ought to extend the same kind of forgiveness and grace and sacrifice. We see in, in, in Jesus that we ought to give away in marriage, even into the lives of other people. That's the point. It all points to him. It's always, always pointed to him. God, intended, God created marriage so that one point in time he could point to a, a, a physical thing like he did in his parables and go, that's what I'm talking about. That's how I love you. That's how deep it ought to be. Some people may have a problem with those words we sang on the screen a minute ago. What did it say? Heaven re- reaches earth like a sloppy wet kiss. Remember Patrick asked me one day how I felt about those lyrics because David, David Crowder changed them. He put an unforeseen kiss. That doesn't go with the way the songwriter wrote them, with the songs. You know why I left those in there? Because Jesus wants that kind of intimate face-to-face contact with us. To alleviate that goes, it could be kind of surface. It's cool. I know one thing. Sometimes people, I've had a couple people try and give me kisses I didn't want. One of those unforeseen kisses. You ever been there? What are you doing? One of these days, Alice, no pun intended, right? It's supposed to be deep. It's supposed to be touched at the core of who we are. It's supposed to stir something on the inside of us, this relationship with Jesus. So here's my encouragement to you. Understand this, family and marriage, when it's endeavored upon scripturally, it points all of us to Jesus, For the husband, it makes him realize he can't do anything without Jesus' help because he cannot be what Jesus was. For the wife, it makes her realize that, man, if I'm going to function well within Christ's church, I I have to submit like he expects the church to submit to him. So I'm learning learning that process. I have to point towards Christ. He submits to the Father. He submits to the plan of God, even at great expense to himself. So I will go there because I want to be like him. It points to Jesus. When it's endeavored on correctly, it should draw people to Christ, not push them away. How many kids have walked out of Christianity because their, their parents could not, could not live the way Christ wanted them to live? Yeah, they do one thing at church. They do another thing when, you know, when nobody else is around. The only thing that looks anything like Jesus. It doesn't look anything like what he wants. When it's done correctly, it should point us all to Christ. Both, both submitting and leading require sacrifice. It requires giving of oneself entirely to Christ and to one another. You cannot do either of those things. And the funny part is right there in verse 21, it says submit to one another out of reverence. That's huge. Husbands, sometimes your wife is right. And sometimes she has heard from God. You ought to listen. And see, I really expect a good amen from that one. There, there was probably a lot of this going. Today over dinner, you I hope you listen to that last part, Aaron said. I am right sometimes. 
And you should, make the, you should make the sometimes really loud. Like, you know, sometimes I am right. I know I'm right every time, but I am right sometimes. Can I encourage you about something? Right now, if you're in the middle of some sort of dysfunction in your family, the biggest thing I want you to walk with today is don't give up. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't give up. Love never gives up, the scriptures say. Love never fades away. Therefore, love doesn't walk away. Never, never give up.